0: Everybody, I'm Josiah. I'm I'll be looking over my shoulder until down. Uh, Nazreen, thank you so much for asking me to be here tonight, and welcome to the newcomers. Um, it's really an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you tonight. Um, I'm a grateful and enthusiastic member of Al-Anon. Um, I, I believe in Al-Anon because I believe it works. It, it works for me, and it works for the men that I get to work with. Um, and, and so when I share with you tonight, it's going to be a lot less about Uh, an alcoholic and it's going to be a lot less about um, me than it is going to be about what Al-Anon is and how it works. Um, I'll tell you that when I first came to Al-Anon it was because of a daughter, a teenage daughter who was using drugs at the time uh, and someone had suggested that I go to Al-Anon but I had tried some of my own solutions first and um, they they didn't work out so well. One of the solutions that I tried was a a support group for parents um, that's not 12-step based and I won't name it. And you'll know why in a minute. I said, not very impressed with it. And, and they would tell us things like, well, you don't want to ground your children because you end up grounding yourself to try to enforce uh, the grounding. Um, and you want to make it more difficult for them to engage in the behaviors they're engaging in. And, and they recommended things like uh, take away the things that they have that, that they have fun with. Um, and so they said, take away their stereos and their telephones and, and, and their TVs and things like that. And, and, uh, and my daughter, of course, didn't respond to these things. You know, She was using drugs and, and uh, she was a tweaker, she used speed, so she was hell bent. And it didn't matter if I took away the phone or the TV or the radio or whatever it was. Um, and as you escalated these things, according to the people in this support group, you could eventually take the door off the hinges to their bedroom, so you'd know what was going on. So picture this, I've taken away the phone, the stereo, the TV, anything else you can think of short of clothing and furniture. And then I've taken the door off the hinges. What I'm left with is a daughter who spends six hours a night locked in the bathroom. <laughs> and, and I would wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and there would be a light showing on the crack of the bathroom door and I would just think, oh, God. And so obviously it didn't work and so I, I gave her everything back and I put the, the bedroom door back on and, and it never closed right after that. <laughs> and, and it didn't change her behavior one little bit. Uh, So I came to Al-Anon in a lot of frustration. And what I did was I came to Al-Anon looking for the answer to how to deal with my daughter. Um, I wanted what I've heard described as an obedience school for children. I I wanted a choke chain, and I wanted to teach her how to heal. Um, And when I first came to Al-Anon many years ago, you weren't talking about that. You were talking about your own lives and your own issues, and I didn't hear you say how I was going to get her to stop and how things were going to change by making her better. And so I didn't stick around for very long. And uh, throughout this time, she ended up going to a number of rehabs and reform schools. She ended up at this Baptist boot camp in Texas in the middle of nowhere. And um, I visited it, and it really was in the middle of nowhere. And after about 11 and a half months of a 12-month stay, she just took off barefoot in the middle of the night. And she got about 200 yards, and they dragged her back, and and they called her mother up and said, take her back, we're done, we don't want her anymore. And what happened shortly after that was that um, my daughter and I ended up living together, just the two of us. I was divorced by then, and she didn't have a place to stay, and it was me and her. She wasn't using anymore, but she was very much engaged in all of the alcoholic behaviors. And what I've come to learn is that when our literature talks about we need Al-Anon whether the alcoholic is drinking or not, that was my experience. And um, at about the same time, I started dating a woman who was sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, and I realized that her behaviors affected me quite a bit, too. And um, as a result of her experience in AA, she had started going to Al-Anon, and she had that green and white book sitting out, I know, one night, and, and I asked her about it, and she said, yeah, I've started going to Al-Anon. And I thought, you know... If I'm going to make this a fair fight, maybe I should find out what she knows in Alanon. And so because I'm living with this daughter of mine and I'm dating this woman, I thought I need to get back to Al-Anon. And I went back to Al-Anon, And what I realized now is that I needed a solution. I needed the solution that Al-Anon had to offer even more desperately than before because when I had come here before, I thought if only she would stop, everything would be better. Well, she was stopped and everything wasn't better. Um, and, and what I did was I came into Alanon. I, I came back to um, a, a meeting I had been to before that is now my home group, and it's the home group of a lot of the guys you see here tonight. Um, the, the Thursday night meeting in La Cunyata. It's a men's meeting, except the rest of you are welcome on the first meeting of the month. We have a speaker that night, and I highly recommend it. That's where Nazreen corralled me to come speak to you last, uh, last month. Uh, and it's what I call my home group. And, and what I've done is... I've watched the men who are longtime members of that meeting, and I I see that they're happy and content even though they have alcoholics in their lives. And some of these men have sober alcoholics in their lives, and some of them have drinking alcoholics in their lives, but I see that many of them have happy and contented lives. And I thought, that's what I want. And so what I did was I did what they said to do, what I saw them doing. So I do have a home group. It's that Thursday night meeting. I have service commitments (coughs) in Al-Anon meetings. I have a sponsor. Um, I talk to that sponsor once a week whether I need to or not, uh, and it turns out that Wednesday night is the night that I call my sponsor and I've spoken to him tonight. Um, he told me one time, you know, you don't really need to call me every week. You're doing pretty good. And I said, Carl, I really do need to call you every week. Um, and sometimes I need to call him more than once a week. Um, but I do know that sometimes I'll get on the phone with him and I won't realize until I'm ten minutes into the conversation that I had something going on that I wasn't even aware of. So I have a sponsor. I do sponsor men. It's probably the greatest gift that I have in this program. It's one of the best kept secrets there is, um, and don't tell them. But I get way more out of my work with them than they ever get out of me, and um, if that's just the truth. So thank you guys, um, and thank you for showing up. A bunch of the guys that I sponsor are here tonight, um, and uh, some of them even drug along qualifiers. And uh, thank you for coming. Um, but but this is really more about um, about what the problem is and what the al-anon solution is uh i came here primarily because of my daughter i stay here primarily because i'm in a relationship with an alcoholic but more than anything i'm here because it's the way i react it's my response to the alcoholic that explains why i devote time and energy to it that explains why (coughs) that daughter made me so crazy or why i can be so sick in my relationship with my girlfriend what I've come to learn in Al-Anon as a result of doing inventories and sharing meetings and reading the literature is that I've got a qualifier from way back. Um, I have a grandfather, my father's father, a man I never even met, who I have learned is a raging alcohol was a raging alcoholic, and my father is an untreated Al-Anon. So a lot of what I am today is what I learned from my father. So here's a man I never even met and his shadow is cast across our family. And so I think I qualify for Al-Anon in just about every way you can. Um, but my, my situation when I came into Al-Anon is I didn't even realize what the problem was. So I couldn't possibly conceive of what the solution was. Um, and, and the way I like to describe the problem and the solution is just to go through the steps. Um, I've heard people say that the 12 steps are one of the best-kept secrets in Al-Anon, and I don't like that to be true, because uh, the 12 steps are how we work a solution in this program. Uh, Al-Anon came from AA, and it came from AA because the wives in the kitchen making the coffee realized that they needed a solution, too, because they were having a hard time dealing with their alcoholic husbands. And so what they did was they started working the AA program themselves, and they ultimately adapted it to dealing with alcoholics. So that's the program that we have. That's our legacy. Uh, And I'm a big believer in the 12 steps. And I'm not a little bit shy about uh, stealing from their literature to get a better understanding of how to work with public, Um, because I don't think that we're very much different from them. Uh, I I think that our drug of choice happens to be alcoholics, or or many other things, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than alcohol. We don't have an allergy to that, um, but but we have a sickness just as Mm -hmm. real. And the solution works just as well for us. so as I say, when I came back Alan on the second time, um, I did the things that the men who were in recovery were doing, and they've worked for me. And, and I think one of the biggest deals um, that those men do and that I've done since then is to work the steps. Um, a- and when you work the steps, you start at the first one and finish with the 12th one, and, and then if you're really ambitious, you go again. Um, but the first step says that we're powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. Um, and, and at first that didn't really make sense to me as someone... Who wanted her to change? But what I've realized is that I don't—I can't be very literal about the way those steps are worded. Um, when I'm—when it says I'm powerless over alcohol, it means I'm powerless over that alcoholic and what alcohol does to her uh, and how she acts. And—and um, and because I'm powerless, and yet because I want to have power over that, my life does become unmanageable. And. I've come to realize that a situation that I had to deal with with my daughter while we were both still in our disease really defines that first step, so vividly, for me at least. And My daughter had been off at a friend's house, and I don't know if I knew it then, but I know now that they had been huffing. They had been spraying something into a bag and breathing it and getting high. And I had come to get her and take her home, you know, I was the stern father. and, and it. My memory is that the police were involved somehow. I have a recollection of a black and white. And uh, I'm not quite sure how that worked out. But somehow I got her and she was in the van, the family van. And I was driving her home. And of course, I'm sure I was telling her in no uncertain terms you know, how bad she was and how she was going to straighten out. And so we're driving along. She's in the passenger seat. And we get to a stop. I, I don't remember if it was a light or a stop sign. But we stopped and all of a sudden the passenger door flies open and she's gone. (laughs) I'm sitting in traffic at the light or the stop sign, whatever it is, and she's gone and I'm absolutely flummoxed. I have no idea what I do. I get her, no I drive, I get her, no I drive, I get her, no I drive. Powerless over that child, she's running off into the night and my life is completely unmanageable. I don't know whether to drive or to run. And to me, there's a perfect description of the first step for the Al-Anon. Powerless over that alcoholic, and my life is completely unmanageable. Don't know what to do. So there's our dilemma. Uh, as an Al-Anon, I do two things with the alcoholic, and, and they're, one of them's on one end of the spectrum, and the other is completely on the other end of the spectrum. I want to completely control that alcoholic. If that alcoholic would only do what I know is exactly right for her, We would both be much better. Thank you very much. And I know best. Now, it's really easy to have that attitude with someone whose diapers you've changed, someone you've raised from birth, but I have the arrogance to think that I can do it for anybody. And certainly my girlfriend is no exception. I've got some really good ideas for how she could live her life much better and make both of us a lot happier. Don't you know? <laughs> That's one of the things I do as an al On the one end of the spectrum is that I completely want to control her. I know best. But then, at other times, completely on the other end of the spectrum, and with the same person, possibly even during the same day, I'm a complete doormat they say jump and I just want to know how high and how quickly and how many times. I would find myself when I was living with that wonderful daughter of mine, she's not even using, and she would be on the phone saying, oh, I'd really like to go but I don't have any money and guess whose wallet would be in his hand. (laughs) You know, I have no way to get there, I would hear her say and the car keys would be in. And that would be true regardless of whether I felt like driving or whether I could afford to open up that wallet. Because don't you know that if we appease her and keep her happy, everything's going to be okay. So on the one hand, I have the arrogance that I think I can run their lives and on the other hand, I will do anything for them. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to find a middle ground and what I'm doing is my life is being completely controlled by them. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be going, the light is green and yet I'm completely stuck. So, the first step defines our dilemma. There's the problem for us. And the rest of the steps, I believe, are designed to help us to find a solution, regardless of whether they've just taken off and run off into the land. The second step says that I come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. Now, I'm one of the people that came into this program not because I was looking for some kind of a spiritual awakening, not because I just knew that I was going to open my life up. I came in here because I felt I had to because I didn't know what to do. Um, What I came in here wanting was a solution, but not a religion. I had no interest in a God, didn't have time for it, didn't necessarily even believe it, wanted nothing to do with that. But see, the nice thing about the second step is it doesn't say anything about God. It just says that a power greater than me can help restore me to sanity. And so what I know is that, at first, just your collective experience and wisdom was a power greater than me I had done everything I could think of, but you guys had thought of some things that I hadn't, and they seemed to be working, so for me, the surrender involved in the second step is simply a matter of saying, okay, you guys have it figured out, you've got some ideas, cool, what are they? That was the second step for me. (laughs) Unfortunately, you then said, well, go ahead, take the third step, and that's you stop trying to figure it all out. And what I've been taught and programmed is that I can define God or this power greater than myself in any way. And there's one simple requirement. There's only one thing that I have to remember about whatever my God is going to look like. And that is, I'm not it. Okay? I'm not it. I am no longer allowed to do this stuff by myself. And it's really important for me to remember that I have a higher power and guess what? So does my alcoholic. And while I am not my own higher power. I'm the guy who said, I'm only going to act as if I'm interested in this and willing to do this because you guys say that that's all I have to do and that it works. Stick around for a while. What you'll find is that there are people who believe in it and who act on that belief and whose lives get better. And little tiny miracles happen and you have to stop and say, you know what? There must be something at work here. And a big part of the reason I didn't want a religion, didn't believe, in it wasn't really willing to go down that that path is because I thought that I had to have it figured out. I had to understand it. And what this program asked me to do is just to be willing to kind of take a step in that direction without having it figured out. And I still don't have it figured out. um, But now, many years later, I'm willing to tell you that I completely embrace the idea that Al-Anon is a spiritual program and it really is about getting in touch with some kind of a power greater than myself, greater than us. So uh, you, I've had to have a, a pretty good basic underpinning in the first three steps because once you get past that, it gets a little bit hairy. Uh, the fourth step asks us to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And, and by the time you get ready to really sit down and do that, I think it's important to have a little bit of confidence in the program, hopefully in a sponsor with whom you'll share that four-step, and just kind of in the universe in general. Because my character defects, the things that drive my behavior with my alcoholics, come mostly from the belief that I have that I'm not good enough, I don't deserve to have good things, and so that's why on the one hand I have to control with such a tight fist, Otherwise, I will lose it if I let go of the grip. Or, on the other hand, why I have to be such a complete doormat. So for me to really honestly look at the things that I think are wrong with me is a very difficult thing. For a person who has crushing low self-esteem, um, that can be very difficult. Now, some of Al-Anon's literature says, oh, well, you know, your, your moral inventory, your fourth steps, should emphasize your character assets because we have such low self esteem I'm kind of not with that literature so much, because if my problems with my alcoholic had to do with my character assets, then this would be a much different journey than it is. But I'm here to tell you that my problems with my alcoholic have to do with my character defects. And the reason I'm here is because I don't want to have to completely put my daughter or my girlfriend out of my life to make my life better. I want these people in my life, but I want them in my life in a healthy way. And the reason that my relationship with them gets unhealthy is because I have character defects. That cause me to react to the way they behave. So, my inventory, by definition, has to be a listing of my character defects. Those are the things I have to work on to make my relationship with those alcoholics better. So... Yes, character assets are important to acknowledge, and yes, in the process of working on low self-esteem, which, by the way, is on my fourth step as a character defect. We talk about this, thing, but that's not what the fourth step is about. So with all due respect to the al literature, I think I have to focus on my character defects. And by the way, working the inventory process with a sponsor, I am not going to be able to get into a place where all I see is bad stuff and I must be the worst person on earth, and here's an inventory that shows you why. A loving sponsor is not going to let that happen. And a loving sponsor gets involved Mm -hmm. in the fifth step. The fifth step says that we admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Another reason why I don't agree with our literature that says work on your assets. The very next step says we admit the nature of our wrongs. We're going to fix some stuff that's broken that's not broken we can acknowledge but we've got to work on the stuff that's broken so the fifth step admit to god to ourselves and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs that's when i sit down with a sponsor with a man who's been through this who's had alcoholics in his life and has reacted in an unhealthy way and has worked the program and has gotten better and who understands by the time i get around to doing the fifth step i've worked with this guy and he knows me and i'll tell you for me i think that this concept of the fifth step, this idea that we're willing and able to share our deepest, darkest stuff with someone who knows us and loves us and supports us, is really sort of the key. It's the magic to 12-step programs. The fifth step, the idea behind the fifth step is is the idea that was born when Bill Wilson went to Akron, Ohio and sat down with Bob Smith, an old-time doctor in Akron who just couldn't get sober. And Bill was about six months sober and on fire to help other people get sober. And he sat down and told him, not you've got to get better, but look, this is how I drank. This is what's wrong with me. Dr. Bob heard that. And that's what we do in the fifth step. That's what we do when we share in meetings or when we call our sponsor. Because the things that I know are wrong with me are things that I never wanted you to know about me. Because I start out from a place that says that I'm not good enough. I don't deserve the good things in life. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve to have nice things. So for me to open up and say, here I am, in all its horror, then you're going to know that that belief that I have about myself is true. So it takes a big leap of faith to be able to say, here I am. And the wonderful thing about the way the process works is that we all say, oh boy, that's me too. That's the beauty about sitting and listening to people share in meetings. That's the beauty about doing a fifth step. And uh, I've done it a few times with a sponsor. I've had the the privilege of having men that I sponsor bring their inventories to me, and I've done it with them, and it's an amazing, powerful thing to be able to acknowledge those things and not to have someone run screaming from the room, but for the person to nod their head and say, wow, yeah, I know, me too. Or, Or just to say it's okay. And at the end of the process to say, good for you, I'm proud of you, I love you. Boy, that's a big deal all by itself. For it to be okay to have things about us that are wrong. The good news is the rest of the steps are part of the process of making those things better. And the 6th step says that we're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. And and in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 6th and 7th steps take up about a paragraph. Just a paragraph. And and they're see when they started out back in the day, there were 6 steps when it was the Oxford group, before it was AA, there were six things that they did and they kind of did them all in one day. Well, I think when they filled them out to 12, there were a couple of steps that looked like they were filler. And and the sixth step is is one of those kind of filler steps, but it's a big deal. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And it's a big deal because the things that I've identified as my defects of character, like that controlling thing that I do or that doormat thing that I do, those are things that I've done for a long time. A long time. Decades. Those are things that I learned at my daddy's knees, Because I've told you that he's an untreated al and that's what he knows to do. To contend with the chaotic alcoholic world he grew in. So the idea that I'm going to be completely ready to have those things removed is pretty revolutionary. It really requires that I say that I become willing to devise a way of dealing with difficulties in my life that's completely different than what I've done my entire life. I had one of the guys that I was sponsoring do some six-step writing for me one time because he was stuck, and I said, okay, talk to me about what you're going to be like when those defects of character you identified in your inventory are are removed. And he came back to me after he did the writing, and he said, I'm really afraid of this because I'm not going to know who that person is. He felt so defined by the defects of character that he'd identified that he was afraid of the shell, essentially, that would have been left. So it really is kind of a big deal to say we're entirely ready to give up those things. Am I entirely ready to give up the control, to give up the people, pleasing? To give up the gossip and the criticism and the judgment and all of the other things that I identify, the stinginess, the greediness, the selfishness. Am I really willing to give those things up? if I've decided that, then the seventh step says that I humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. So once again, acknowledging that I'm not in this process alone. Once again, acknowledging that even though I'm ready, as the sixth step says, that I need help. One of the things I like to point out about the six and seven steps is this. Nowhere in those steps does it say that when you work those steps, the shortcomings are removed. I told one of the men I sponsored that after he did those steps and he just looked at me and his face fell. And he said, oh. I said, well, it would be a seven-step program if that was the case. And (laughs) it's not a seven-step program. Um, They're not removed then. Um, I believe that the six and seven step um, is the place where we stop and and take stock and get ready to do the next bit of hard work. The fourth step is hard enough, but the next bit of hard work comes in eight and nine. And, And for me, eight and nine... Um, are where we really start to roll up our sleeves and get to work. We've identified these things. We've identified the problem in one. We've gotten ready in two and three. We identify what our situation is. We know the alcoholic's insane, and it's made our life insane from the first step. The fourth step has helped us to identify specifically what it is about us. What is it about me and my behaviors and my attitudes and my belief about myself and the world that causes me to have such an unhealthy relationship? I've done the four-step well. That's what I've identified. So, now, I'm ready. God, please help me. And we get on to eight and nine. The eight-step says that we make a, a list of all the persons we'd harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. And I, I think this is particularly appropriate for us in Al-Anon because Al-Anon is a program of relationships. An alcoholic can come into AA and get sober having spent his entire drinking career alone in a room. but, If that was our story, we wouldn't even qualify for this program. By definition, Al-Anon is a program of relationships. If there wasn't an alcoholic in your life, you wouldn't qualify for this program. So, the 8-step says that we make a list of people we'd harm. Who are the people in our lives? The last time I did an 8-step, I just started at the very beginning. Mom, dad, brother, sister, and went down like that. I wrote every name I could think of from the very beginning, and then I went down and said, okay, did I harm them? rather than doing it the other way around, saying, okay, who did I harm? I didn't want to give myself an out. I didn't want to give myself the opportunity to be in denial about whether I'd harmed these people. So I become willing, I make a list of these people and I become willing to make amends to them. Um, and for me, the eighth step is about identifying the people that I've had unhealthy relationships and finding my part in that. Okay, why do I have an unhealthy relationship with my daughter? Because I try to control her on the one hand. And I, and I try to be a complete people pleasure on the other. All of which has to do with how I feel about myself. All of which has to do with how I feel about her and how the world works. You know, I have to protect these people. I'm unwilling to give them the dignity to live their own lives. I don't know if that's because of the fact that this process comes to us from AA, and let's face it, that a newly sober drunk has a lot of apologies to make. <laughs> but for me, The eighth and ninth step process, the amends process, isn't primarily about making apologies. And and I I, I don't know about you guys, but for this Al-Anon, the cheapest phrase in my vocabulary ever is,
1: I'm sorry. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Right. I'm sorry.
0: I have this distorted sense of responsibility. I think it's all my fault. I think it's all my fault. And I will take responsibility for stuff that I've got nothing to do with. Because, oh goodness knows, you can't be upset, unhappy, displeased. If you tell me that it's too noisy in this room, it's too dark, it's too drafty, I'm sorry. I've got nothing to do with it. I have a tendency to have this overblown sense of of responsibility for your well-being. So I will apologize because I don't want you to be upset with me, God knows. The thing about it is, if I go and I apologize to you and I engage in the same behavior, again then the apology is empty and it's meaningless. And besides, I think that this program, I think the process of the steps is about figuring out how to change me. And there's no step in there that says, and then we stop doing that stuff," Or or then we started acting completely differently. So I think the amends steps are where that happens. When we amend the Constitution, we, we write something new in there that changes how it works. When you amend something, you change it. Hopefully for the better. So I think the amends process is more about going to the people that I've identified on that list that I've harmed and saying, I've treated you badly. I will try not to treat you that way ever again. Now, in the process of doing that, I may apologize for having treated you badly. But the apology is not the point. Change in behavior is the point. To me. Because I've got to start changing. Now, if I tell you that My inventory has revealed that my character defects are a lot about this low self-esteem, the fear that I have that you'll find me out for the terrible person I am, my conviction that I don't deserve to have a good place in this world, that I don't deserve your love, that I don't deserve good relationships. And to me, the solution to that is to start acting differently. Because what I'll tell you is that my inventory has revealed that I acted consistent with that belief that I had over and over and over. I'm not worthy of having a good job, so I procrastinate and I'm lazy at work. I'm not worthy of having a a wonderful, loving relationship, so I cheat. And over and over again, my behavior reinforces my belief about myself. And it's a sick spiral, and the worse I feel about myself, the worse I behave. Now I've never discovered a way to look at myself in the mirror and say, okay, you're a good person and have it be done. I believe that I'm a good person. It just ha- doesn't work that way for me. What I have to do is I have to go out and start acting differently. And sometimes it's real simple. When I first saw my sponsor speak at a meeting, he had a jacket What I was taught is you show up and you dress nicely when you're asked to speak. Stuff like that. Making the bed showing up to work on time and putting in a good effort helps me one day at a time to believe differently about myself as an employee so that's what the amends process is about I told you that one of the things that I did with my daughter was I would hear her say that she doesn't have a ride and I would show up with cartoons in me. so the amends process with my daughter, has involved a very frank conversation about, Julie, when you need something for me, I want you to ask for it. I'll tell you what, when we had that conversation, her face fell, because she knew the jig was up. She knew she was going to have to start taking responsibility for what she wanted and needed. And it took a long time for both of us to change our behavior, but that was the immense process at work. I will give you the dignity of being an adult in this relationship and asking me for what you want. Now, One of the gifts of that has been, I've been able, when she chooses to talk to me, (laughs) to learn a little bit about my daughter's life. Because sometimes when she says, oh, I'm so broke, what she's doing doing with me is telling me how her life is, not asking me for money. Who knew? That she wasn't asking for a solution. Who knew that she just wanted to tell me what was going on in her life? I had no idea because I wanted to fix it. Because I was so uncomfortable with her discomfort and so sure that it was my fault somehow or that I was responsible somehow that I never had an opportunity to learn about what was going on with her. So now I can sit and listen to her complain about how broke she was and be comfortable in the knowledge that if she really needs the money, she's going to ask you for it. A couple months ago she called me up and said, Daddy, I need $400 to get some dental work done. I listened to the message, and I thought about what I wanted to say, and I waited. And on the way home from work, I called my sponsor and reasoned it out with him, and by the time I was able to call her back, I had thought about whether it was a reasonable request, whether I could afford it and what the terms were going to be. It wasn't a knee-jerk. And it wasn't either, of course, sweetheart, how much, automatically, but it also wasn't a hell no, who do you think you are? It was the response that I really felt, and it was the response that I could really afford. I believe that's what the amends process is about. I've made amends to that child. Now, sometimes you can't make the amends directly. I am a veteran of two marriages, and I'm in the process of making amends to my ex-wives, but not by going to them and telling them, oh my God, the things that I did, I'm so sorry. I've gone to them and and told them, I'm sorry about the way our relationship went and I treated you badly, and I'm trying not to be that guy, but I haven't had to go and share my inventory with them about all the really horrible ways that that was true. What I do today, though, is. I act like the kind of guy in my relationship today that I would like to have been that. So in a way, my relationship with my girlfriend today allows me to make amends for the man that I was. So I I told you before, I was the guy that cheated. I didn't know how to have a quiet, mature confrontation with the woman I was with. I was sure that if we had a confrontation, that she would say, No, that's unacceptable. She did say that a lot. Um, and that that would end the relationship. I didn't know how to have a reasonable confrontation. I didn't know how to say no and mean it. So I felt trapped, and there was only one way I felt I could get out. So I cheated. That's what I did. I'm not, I'm not proud of it. But what I'll tell you today is that I, I, I'm in a relationship today where I've made a commitment not to cheat. Why? Mostly because I've identified the person that I believe myself to be in my image. And I've identified how I act because of those beliefs. And I don't want to be that person I don't want to act that way. I used to think that if I'd made a commitment to be faithful, it was a commitment I made to her. What I know now is that it's a commitment I make to myself. As a result of the amends process, I'm acting like a different guy so I'll feel better about myself. If I feel better about myself, I don't have to act like that guy that walked in this room. I don't have to be that guy stuck at that light not knowing what to do. Because I believe in myself. Because I act like a different guy. Because of the immense process. That's how that works for me. And so, I've tracked down a lot of people, and I've gone through this process with them. But really, for me, it's more about making sure that that inventory has produced a list of character defects, and the rest of the steps have produced a list of behaviors that I can engage in that will allow me to change the way that I act that allows me to change the way I feel about myself more and it. It's a pretty powerful process. And what I'll tell you is that the 10th step then says that I continue to do this. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it. That's a little bit of Bill Wilson's shorthand for keep doing the steps four through nine. Identify character defects as they come up and start changing the way you behave. You fine-tune what you've done. I'll tell you that things that were okay for me to do when I first came into al are no longer okay for me to do because the longer I'm here, the more I realize that there are still opportunities for me to improve how I act, how I feel about myself, how I relate to my world. I've made big changes financially, how I take care of my finance used to be real loose about that stuff. And I've come to realize that a lot of the shame that I feel, a lot of the low self-esteem that I feel about myself manifests in my relationship with finances. One of the things that I believe is that even though this program focuses on our relationship with our finances, even though our purpose is to improve those relationships, what happens is that the things that drive our behaviors with our alcoholics are also the things that drive our behavior with finances, with jobs, with traffic. You know, I mean, with everything. Because they have to do at their deepest level with how we feel about ourselves and how we fit into our world. My sponsor talks about how he retires driving. <laughs> That's a part of the recovery process if you no longer have to control everybody around you or if you're no longer a complete doormat on the road, if you found some recovery behaviors when you go from home to work, you don't have to drive the same. My favorite one on that one is just give myself plenty of time and then I don't have to worry about how I'm getting cut off. Um, But the point is that the 10-step has allowed me to identify other areas in my life where behavior has needed to change. And the 10th step allows me to work this programming perfectly. Because even though sometimes I know what I'm supposed to do, my emotions respond first. And here I am supposed to be this this great font of wisdom and recovery, and I end up acting like a jackass. And then what? Well, Then what is that I get to employ this process again, and I get to make amends where appropriate and necessary. And I don't have to walk around with a bunch of shame because I've acted like a jackass once again. One of the beautiful things about this program for me is that it allows me to just be human. It allows me to still be a work in progress. That was never okay for me before. You know, the home that I grew up in that was affected by alcoholism was one where, you know, dad's cursing under the hood of a car and says, you know hand me the box wrench and I pick up I don't know what a box wrench is I pick it up because God knows you're not going to tell him while his head is under the hood and he's cursing at the engine that you don't know what it is so you pick something up and just grit your teeth and when you're screamed at because it's a crescent wrench and not a box wrench that's the kind of stuff that starts to define how you look at your world so it was never okay for me not to know it was never okay for me to make mistakes and here because of the process that is available to us through the steps, it is. And as long as I'm willing to learn from those mistakes, and finally someday figure out what a box wrench really is, if I choose to... Actually, that's not it. That's not it at all. I still don't know what a box wrench is. What I know today is that I don't offer to help the guy cursing under the hood anymore. <laughs> that's just boundaries and on it sometimes the best i can do is just walk away i've got have got to tell you one of my favorite alan stories um this wonderful alcoholic girlfriend of mine god love her she works a good program she's got a lot of good recovery in the early stages of our relationship we would have very heated discussions i have to be careful how i describe this because she sat in a room one time when i told this story and she was very upset with me she did not like the way i characterized her behavior but at any rate we used to have very heated discussions um, in part because of my behavior, but she would, you know, in no uncertain terms, tell me what she thought. And what would happen is, she would tell me what she thought, and, and use some pretty strong language, and I would try not to react, and she wouldn't stop, and then finally, it's like you're getting poked in the chest over and over again, finally, I would react. And I would let her have it. And I swear, I would wake up the next day, and realize I had been a jackass one more time and I had to apologize to her. And then I would scratch my head and I would say, wait a minute, she started that. And I would be so confused. I'm like, what, how, why? And what I realize now is that I would let her trigger me. (laughs) So I, I thought, I know what I can do. I can tell her I don't want to have this conversation anymore. I can tell her I'm not going to participate if you're going to say those things. So I did that one time. I said, okay, I think this conversation has gotten to the point where we're a little bit too emotional. I think we need to stop now. She wasn't ready to stop. And, and she told "So you never want to have this conversation. You're just a big chicken. That's not the word she used. And, and she poked my chest over and over again. And I could feel it coming up. I knew I was about to get angry. So I laced up my shoes and I walked out the door. And we were at my house. <laughs> and I walked around the block, and I walked around the block again. But at least that way I could disengage. I'm never going to win that argument. I'm never going to win that fight. If I, if I don't escalate with her, then I'm just going to get abused. If I do escalate with her, then I'm going to take it to the point where I have to apologize. I've heard somebody describe it in an Al-Anon meeting like this. I'll, I'll try to use less <coughs> colorful language than they did. Here's my problem. Doormat, 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 jerk. Mm-hmm. That's my problem. I don't have any, any in-between. I either completely walked on or I'm a raging jack. So while I'm learning something in-between, sometimes I just have to walk on. Because I get triggered by that stuff, and it goes all the way back to figuring out what a box wrench is to that guy who's screaming at the engine under the car. <laughs> you know? But what I know now is that I don't have to stand there frozen like an eight-year-old trying to figure out what a box wrench is. I've got other options. Uh, and that's part of what this program is um, The 11th step is one that, that it took me a long time to get to. You can imagine. It says it's, uh, we seek through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood it. In. Uh, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Um, once I got past my dilemma in the first few steps, um, praying was okay for me. Um, in fact, I was told, even if you don't believe, pray as if you do. Uh, m- my sponsor claims that he's an, a- uh, an agnostic, but he does pray, just in case someone is listening. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to do that relatively early on. It took me a long time to get to the point where I was willing to consider meditation. The idea that I would sit quietly all by myself was one that was difficult. First of all, if you're an Al Anon like me, you're always busy because there's always something that needs to be done. Um, and, and that's my first problem. The other one is that I, I wasn't always very good company um, and I didn't always like sitting with me uh, as I've started to change my behavior and learn to think a little bit more of myself, it's become a little bit easier for me to sit with the con- concept of just being there, just me and my gut, whatever that is. Uh, and it's something that I practice now, and, and it's, it's powerful and valuable for me, but it does take time and it takes practice. So one of the things that I had to realize when I started to try to work on that part of the 11th step was that, like anything else, it's not something that you just sit down and do. When you first got on a bicycle, you didn't know how to ride it, you had to work on it you don't pick up a musical instrument and play it. So we don't just sit down and meditate. So it takes practice. And, and, uh, and I had to believe that the process was important enough to do it and I, I was worth taking the time. To do. Um, and the other thing that's important about the 11th step is it says that I pray only for knowledge of His will for me. I don't get to pray for stuff. You know? And when I pray for people, and God knows there are people in my life that need praying for <laughs> I can only say, God, I, I release her to you. you know, I know I want the best for her, but I turn her over to you. And I've had to do that. You know, uh, I have two daughters. I never share about my younger daughter because she's not an alcoholic, and she's really not the reason I'm an al but uh, neither of my daughters, particularly my younger daughter, choose to have a relationship with me today. Um, and, and that gets to be okay, but I pray for them all the time, and it's, it's not my will. I would love to have a relationship with them. Actually, I would love to have a little conversation with that youngest one, um, but that's that's not my part. Um, and by the way, I want to make a pitch for the Saturday morning meeting up in La Cunata. If you are a parent of an alcoholic or, or a drug-using child, or even if you're just a parent and you don't know what the hell to do, that meeting up in La Cunata at 10.30 is, is powerful. Um, and I don't know if there's an Al-Anon dilemma worse than a child who's out of control. Um, the 12th step says... Uh, that uh, having had a spiritual awakening is the result of these steps. I really like that opening phrase because it it reminds me of my focus. Uh, First of all, as I said, I think the the 12 steps are, are crucial to our recovery. But it says that I have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. If I do these things, I will have a spiritual awakening. Now, it doesn't mean that the clouds are going to part and I'm going to see a great white light and I'm going to float. But it means, sometimes very simply, that I know that there are consequences to my behavior. That is a spiritual way. That I can affect my life by changing the way that I act. That by coming in here and surrendering to the wisdom of the people who figured this out and who've done it before me, I can get that. My relationships with my alcohol. Uh, and that's our point. And if, if nothing else, that first part of the 12th step is a mission statement for Alan. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to practice these principles in all our affairs on the one hand and carry this message to others on the the other. Um, And, you know, carrying the message to others, uh, I'm grateful that I get an opportunity to do this because I actually enjoy it quite a bit. Um, But those of you that have just sat quietly in this meeting and have nodded your hand, you're carrying the message to me because it reminds me that we have a common problem and that we have a common solution. Thank you for being here and for nodding your heads. It means a lot to me. And then the other part of it says that we practice these principles in all our affairs. And I'll tell you that for me, as you know, we stand here today, I have to practice these principles really hard. work. Um, all of those character defects that I told you about that define my relationship with my alcoholics, that cause me to act the way that I do, are character defects that I bring with me to work. All of that low self-esteem and all of that bad behavior comes to work with me every day. And it makes it hard. You know? And when the circumstances of my work get hard, then all of that baggage that I bring with me makes it hard. But what I know <coughs> is that I can practice the principles of this program in all of these affairs. So it's okay for me to have told my sponsor in my Wednesday telephone call with him today that I was having a hard time at work and to talk to him about this. And it's okay for me to remember that sometimes the best I can do is just keep coming back. And one day at a time. Because I want it all to be done perfectly and I never want to have to worry about anything. Huh. Sounds like that guy used to try to control that daughter, huh? Um, But that's me. Um, And no matter how much I work this program, those are going to be some of the things that I have to contend with. But I'll tell you that the way I contend with them today is to walk into that place with my head up, dressed nicely, and saying, okay, you're paying me to do a job. We have an agreement. Every couple of weeks, you'll pay me, and every day, I'll show up and do my job. And to the best of my ability, I try to do that even when I don't think I can, even when I'm afraid to, and certainly on the days that I don't think I want to. Um, and, And what happens is that a day at a time, I get to act like a different guy. And one tiny little bit at a time, I get to feel differently about who I am and what my and what that does is that it helps me to recover from the way alcoholism has affected my life. Thank you all for listening. It's good to be here. And then the ninth step says that I go out.